turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 16. We're going to finish up the book of 1 Corinthians tonight. And then next week, Lord willing, we will begin the book of 2 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Father, as we open up our Bibles and come to meet with you, God, we just pray for a freshness from your Holy Spirit. We thank you for Awana, Lord, from age three up to age fifth grade on Wednesday nights, and we thank you for all of the workers, those that are serving. Lord, would you give them energy? Would you give them wisdom in those, those classes, Father? And we just pray you would really bless uh, this year of Awana. Lord, we also pray for the youth ministry. We pray for Greg and Andrew as they teach your word tonight, that you would come alongside of them and fill them with your Holy Spirit. And as we're here in the sanctuary, God, we just don't want this to be our habit, our ritual that we're checking off a box. But God, we want to meet with you. We pray that you would touch our hearts where we felt you stirring us in, in worship. And God, it's difficult in the storms of life uh, to keep our eyes upon you, to trust you. Lord, but that's what we desire to do. You're faithful. God, you know your people. You know what they're going through tonight. Would you minister to their hearts? And we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Final instructions. I had a... <laughs> it's getting fun tonight. This is great. Maybe we can turn the lights over here now, and then we'll do the... Some of you were, like, scared. So now I'm going to tell you a story that I wasn't planning on telling. So, so last week I was doing grocery shopping, maybe a week and a half ago. It was, like, Monday or Tuesday. And it's not my routine to do the grocery shopping. Uh, Amber normally does the grocery shopping, and I was pinch hitting. I was filling in, checking my list once and twice to see if it's naughty or nice. So I'm in the produce section, and I reach in. I'm about ready to grab what I hope is cilantro, and all of a sudden, the sprinklers came on. <laughs> and I, I got scared, like some of you just did, and I went like that, and I jumped like a big girl. And then... <laughs> this veteran lady shopper. She just looks over at me and she's like, <laughs> she starts laughing like, oh, he's a rookie. He'll, he'll get used to this, right? So that was your moment right there. But so final instructions. I had a basketball coach in high school uh, in Salt Lake City. I went my junior and senior year in Salt Lake City, Utah. And his coach was Brian Bentrude was his name. And he was a giant of a man, you know, just tall and really, really strong. And he began practice every day. You'd come to the double doors going into the gym, and there was some quote that he would have, have there. So we'd be standing out, and we would read the quote, and we would read the schedule for the practice. Then you would get inside of the gym, and it was time to start practice, and he would get the guys together, and he'd go, okay, Jim, what was the quote on the door today? And if he could remember it, we were saved from running. But if you couldn't remember, then the whole team had a double portion of running to begin the practice, because he wanted us to have sharp minds to remember his instruction. He was the type of coach that for the taller players to play inside, he would teach you how to be a tough player by manhandling you inside. He, he showed you how to use your body against others by using his body on your body. You know what I'm saying? 
If you played terrible on a Friday night, I remember one road trip, we were, we played miserably, right? And so he just gets back into the, to the locker room and he's like, I'll see you guys tomorrow morning at six o'clock in the gym. We're going to be doing some running. But he always had a winning season. I mean, always went to the playoffs and had a great, great program. But I will remember those moments that right before we would play the game that he would give us his final instruction. He'd say, we've practiced and now this is what you need to do for this opponent. And that's how I picture the Apostle Paul. As he is given 1 Corinthians, now it comes to the final instructions. It's the last chapter. He's saying, okay, church, this is what I want you to remember. And you could say that the Apostle Paul was a tough coach in some ways. He's not letting the church of Corinth off the hook because he loves them. If you remember, as you've studied with us through this letter, Verse by verse, you know he's dealt with some tough topics. There's division amongst the church. There's people inside of the church that won't have anything to do with other pockets of the church, focusing on one leader. There's sexual sin inside of the church of Corinth to the point where one man is in gross sexual sin and the church, instead of dealing with it, they accept it and they were proud of the fact that their love extended to sexual sin. The gifts were being used out of order. The communion table was a place where people were being neglected and others were coming in drunk. And Paul addresses this variety of issues, marriage and divorce. He gives all of these instructions. Now comes his conclusion. Now comes his final instructions. If you're taking notes tonight, we're going to cover these five things. Giving, staying, receiving, standing, and greeting. Giving, staying, receiving, standing, and greeting. And we'll look at those in our text this evening. So let's begin in verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. The end of chapter 15, Paul left us with how to respond to the resurrection of Christ and the ultimate resurrection of all believers, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now he gives the church of Corinth an opportunity to abound in God's work. He's saying, look, as I come to visit you, we're going to take a collection for the church back in Jerusalem. And as you study the New Testament, you'll find that the church in Jerusalem has been going through a difficult time. There's a famine in the city of Jerusalem. So Paul goes to largely these Gentile churches. There would be some Jews, but primarily Gentiles. And he says, we're going to give to this Jewish church in Jerusalem because they're in need. A wonderful thing about the body of Christ. The body of Christ is, is so loving and giving that there's times where there's believers in other countries and we'll come together and we'll say, let's give because they've just gone through an earthquake. They've just gone through a hurricane. We were on the receiving end of it as a community and as a church when we had our fires here in Colorado Springs. And churches came in from all over the country, all over the state, through Samaritan's Purse to reach out to other believers. It's a beautiful thing to be able to see God work in that way. You wouldn't find Jews and Gentiles hanging out with one another. On top of that, caring for one another's needs. So he says, when I come, I want you to, to go ahead and bring these gifts together. Notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, the first day of each week, lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper. So as you have ability to do so, lay aside a gift so that there'll be no collections when I come. 
Paul is teaching about giving as a lifestyle, as a priority, out of being a cheerful giver, but he's not going to tighten the screws. You know what I'm saying? Paul's not going to come to the church of Corinth and say, okay, now that I'm here, we're going to lock the doors and nobody leaves until we get this amount. Paul's not getting out the thermometer and saying, this is how much the church of Jerusalem needs, and once we get to that place, then, then you all can go home. But until then, we're, you're staying here. What he is doing is saying, here's an opportunity for God to work in and, and through your life and make it part of your weekly life. Make it part of when you prosper, when the Lord blesses you, when you get your paycheck and your income comes in. And we take a similar philosophy here at, at RMC. We teach giving because the Bible teaches giving. But we want it to be between you and the Lord. We want us to be cheerful givers that God has touched our hearts. And that's why we choose to not take a formal offering in our services, but to have boxes in the foyer, opportunity to give online, because we want it to be between you and the Lord. But the biblical principle is make it part of your life. Give your first fruits unto God. That's what God teaches us, because if we wait to give him our leftovers, a lot of times there's nothing left over, right? And there's something powerful about giving the first fruits to God. And what I mean by that is we're giving our best to God because it helps us remember it all belongs to the Lord. This, everything is the Lord's. God's placed on my heart to give this amount. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that you've provided for my needs. And God teaches us that it's better to give than to receive. And so in these verses, we come to our first final instruction. Paul's instructing on giving. In verse Verse 3, he says, And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. I really like this because Paul is showing accountability and integrity in this gift. He understands if he shows up and takes this money that people have been collecting to give to Jerusalem, and he walks out of town with no one with him, it's a great opportunity for him to steal this money, for there to be questions, did the money ever make it to the church of Jerusalem? So he says, when I come, I want you to have someone accompany me with the gift. And there's accountability there, and there's financial integrity there. Those are things that we believe in and we put in place here at, at RMC. The ushers will go to the boxes and they'll be the ones to, to collect that money before it goes into the bank. And you'll never see them by themselves. There's always two that are, that are counting it together. We get audited by a group called Cape and Krause and they give us a management letter and we have a review and you're welcome to come and take a look at that and, and set up an appointment to say, I'd like to see that there's financial integrity uh, about this. Our pastoral staff, we don't know who gives. You know, obviously there's, we have to know how much comes in to be able to be good stewards of that. But sometimes people come up to me and they're like kind of wanting to, get their way because they're a good giver. They're like, well, you know. You, you know, right? I'm like, nope, I don't know. I have no clue what you're saying. And the reason for that is to guard against the flesh. Like, people shouldn't get special treatment because they give. You know, they shouldn't get less treatment because they don't give. And so Paul shows great wisdom in not being alone with God's money here. In verse 4, but if it's fitting that I go also they will go with me. So Paul says, if I'm even needed to be a part of giving this gift to the church of Jerusalem, then you should come with me. 
And this really stood out to me today because it causes ownership for the church of Corinth and participation. I think it's a great model when believers give to other believers. You know, if if RMC has an opportunity to bless another church, more so than just sending a check, we should send a representative that gets to go give and pray for for that church because it shows participation in that. If, If another church felt led to bless this church family in a time of need, It'd be amazing if they sent resources and doubly amazing if they sent resources and a person, right? So, so here's this individual, this ambassador that's gonna come from Corinth to Jerusalem to be able to give the financial gift as well as to share it with love. In verse five, now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia for I'm passing through Macedonia. So he's coming through Macedonia. He's leaving Ephesus Macedonia would be Philippi and Thessalonica making his way to Greece, making his way to Corinth, visiting churches as he went. Paul's gift to the body of Christ is he started churches. He was a church planter. He was an apostle. And as things got going and were healthy, he would then hand it off to a pastor that had been trained up. God would use him to start another church. Then he would come back and he would visit these churches and be an encouragement to them. Verse six, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. Paul's plans are submitted to the Lord. Have you gotten to the place where you submit your plans to the Lord? It's a freeing to do so because it never works out the way you think it will. God's in control. So it's much better to say, if God permits, if the Lord wills, nothing wrong having a plan. God wants us to have a plan. Paul has a plan. But then that submit that plan to the Lord. This year, that's been the theme for me. This last 12 months, I know nothing. I'm not in control. It doesn't work out the way that I think it will. There's been several things where I'm like, I think it's going to go this way. I'm making a call here. I'm really sure. I got a hunch. This is the way that this is going to turn out. Not the way that I thought it was going to turn out at all. And some in blessing. There's some blessings that I never would have anticipated. Wow, I didn't understand that. I didn't see that coming. And then some closed doors that I didn't anticipate and I didn't see coming. It reminds us of how little we really do know. And we don't have control. Paul says, if the Lord permits, if it is the Lord's will. Verse 8, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, till the feet of Pentecost. He's in Ephesus there in modern-day Turkey. He's going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Do those two seem to go together in your mind? Do you go, oh, man, there's this awesome opportunity. God is really making an impact in darkness. I must stay here because I know God is using my life in this particular place. There's an effective door. Oh, but there's great difficulty. In fact, there's those that want to destroy the work. There's those that are actively opposing it. And in Paul's mind, the two go together. And this is the second point. First, Paul's final instructions, this great coach, if you would, says, make sure you're giving. You know, the church in Jerusalem is hurting. I want you to be giving. Then the second thing that he says is he says, I'm staying. I'm staying right here in Ephesus because there's an effective door 
The reason I know that it's effective is because there's adversaries. So how do you know if it's an open door or a closed door? Adversity can't be the indication that it is a closed door. Because we have to look at, is God doing something? Are people getting saved? Are believers getting encouraged? Is there an impact that's taking place? That's how we determine that it's an open door. I'm sure that Kent and Becca, as they're over in Uganda, and we're praying for them, and the months go on now, they know that there's an effective door that's been there. God's doing a work, but there's also going to be adversity in the midst of, of, of that challenge. So Paul says, I'm going to stay right here. It's difficult to stay. It's hard to stay when it gets difficult. And maybe this is speaking to you. Maybe the scripture is gripping you in this way as you're facing some difficulty in something that God has called you to do. I know this is what God wants. There is some things happening. There's a hunger for, for the Lord. There's an opportunity to share Christ with, with believers. I know that God put me in this neighborhood, but it's not easy. There, there's adversity, there's, there's difficulty. I know that God wants me with this group of believers. But, oh, there's adversity right now. It's not an easy time to be with this group of believers. Is it always easy to be with your family, your biological family? Not always, but is it worth it? Yeah. And you might get to that point when it comes with God's people. Or it's not easy, but I know this is where God wants me. Oh man, God's doing a work in my marriage. I took a vow unto the Lord but there's difficulty. I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to continue to persevere. It seems to be that God keeps bringing this out in our studies together. So when that happens, we have to start to go, okay, Lord, I'm paying attention. Like this weekend when we were looking at Jonathan and he's climbing to the top of the mountain, it was difficult. And he had to press in and press through that difficulty until he got to the place where he fought the Philistine garrison. In the same way, don't give up in the midst of adversity. Sometimes the adversity is the confirmation that you're exactly where you want, God wants you to be. Because Satan's going, you know what, there's a threat. There's a threat. He's pressing in. She's pressing in to the things of God. There's real value in staying, and Paul models that in his own life. Verse 10, and if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I do. So, Verse 11, therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me, for I'm waiting for him with the brethren. It seems like the church of Corinth is having a hard time receiving Timothy. They're gonna open up the end of this letter and Paul's saying, I'm not in any hurry to get there. I got some work to still do in Ephesus. So I'll get there when I get there. I'll get there when the Lord permits. But Timothy is gonna come and spend some time with you and encourage you. And you could maybe start to hear some of the moans amongst the church of Corinth. Oh, Timothy. To the point where Paul's saying, you know, you need to welcome this guy so he's not walking around on eggshells. He's not afraid to be with you. And then he just full on says, don't despise him. Don't despise him. So it brings us to our third key word. We've got giving, we've got staying, but then we also have receiving, receiving. Is there someone that God wants you to receive from, but for some reason we're looking down upon them and we don't have open receptors? We don't have open ears to how God would use them in their life. Why would they despise Timothy? Was there anything in his character? 
No, we don't see anything in scripture about his character, but we do know what? He's young. He's young. And, and in this culture, it was very difficult for them to receive from a young man. So some of them would check Timothy off simply because he was young. We also know that Timothy struggled with being timid. He maybe wasn't necessarily a natural-born leader. He would come in a way where you would almost want to encourage him and say, you know what, Timothy, quit, quit shaking. You know, quit being scared. Just stand up and be strong. And Paul had to exhort Timothy in this way. So for these reasons, they may have looked down and despised Timothy. This was a struggle for the church of Corinth as a whole. If you remember earlier on, they seemed to make too much of people. I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos. And Paul's writing to them and saying, you need to be of Jesus Christ in him crucified. And we need to be careful that the same thing doesn't happen to us, that we're following Jesus Christ, that our eyes are upon Jesus Christ, that we don't get too attracted to one leader, that if our favorite leader, in the sense, you know, the Apostle Paul can't come, and Timothy comes, that we're not like all bummed, you know, like, oh no, here's Here's Timothy. I wish that, that Paul would come. I think this is a perfect message for us as a church. If you missed it two weeks ago, Chance announced on a weekend that he's moving to Tyler, Texas, he and his family. He alluded to it during worship. They're trying to sell their house here. They were under contract, and then the contract went out from underneath them today. So they were under contract in the house in Texas that's now in jeopardy. So you can really be praying for them and their last weekend here is October 3rd and 4th. And I think God's message to us as a church is don't despise the new worship pastor. We have to look at how do we apply the word of God to our hearts and in our lives is the church of Corinth is going to have a leader that they didn't expect. And so Paul's saying, look, prepare your heart for them. And when he comes, it's Timothy. I want you to receive him and I don't want you to dis despise him. So here's some things that I've been praying through that I think are gonna help us as a church family as we go through this transition. Is first is be in prayer. Be in that place. Would you make it part of your daily prayer for our church that God would raise up our next worship pastor? God hears the prayers of his people. Say, man, I'm gonna make that part of my prayer life before the Lord. And then second is that God would give us a heart of openness. Maybe that's something that we can be praying together, that our hearts would be open to who the Lord would provide. And the interesting thing about worship and music is it's so insanely personal and important, isn't it? If we were to take a poll of what's the styles that everybody likes, it wouldn't matter if our church was 10 people, we couldn't come to an agreement of what those 10 people liked on, on style. There's no way. I have a different style, you have a different style, and that we could never come to an agreement on, on style. And it's not about, well, we've got to find the favorite style for RMC. It's what God wants to provide. And this is what I know, and this is what I understand, is it will be different. And there's a little bit of mourning that goes on in our hearts because of that. I love chance. I love the style that he brings and the, the way that he brings it to our church. And so part of what I've got to go through in my heart and my life is understand that there isn't going to be another worship pastor that's going to be Chance Real. By the way, have you ever met someone named Chance Real? You know, it's like, so there's not going to be another Chance Real, but they'll be exactly what God has for us in this next season. They'll have their own personality 
and they'll have their own style. And it would be wrong for us to try to say, you know what, Let, let's force them into the, this model or this mold or, or the past and let God do a, a new thing. Another is we've gotta be careful. We've gotta be careful. So I'm gonna let you know where we are in this process is right now we're just knocking on doors, we're praying, we don't have you know, solid candidates to, to say these are the ones. It's been a lot of closed doors so far. We're not in a hurry. The worship team is a great worship team that's gonna fill in the gap while, while we're looking. But when it does get to that point where there's candidates that are being c- considered is you've gotta be careful because what's gonna happen is you're gonna come in and you're gonna realize they're a candidate that's in this process of praying and we're praying as a leadership and before you know it, you're doing American Idol. You know what I'm saying? You're like, you're like full on doing the voice and then you're hoping on the church's Facebook page, you know, they'll, they'll how'd you like the candidate? And, you know, and all these type of things. And then before you know it, you're talking with other people in the body and you're saying, oh man, he doesn't really sing on key or he's too rocky or he's not rocky enough. And I think they should keep looking and they could do better. And before you know it, it's like someone's trying to marry my daughter. They're never good enough, right? You know, and no one's ever good enough to be the, the next worship pastor at, at RMC. And so you gotta be careful. We gotta be careful in our communication because what if that person is it? What if they're the one that God does choose for us and all of a sudden I've run them down in my mind. I've run them down in conversation. Now I've got something to get over and someone else that I've shared with has something to get over. And then these are interesting journeys for us as a church that we don't have very often. You know, this this will be the second worship pastor in the 10 years that I've been here. We've had a great history of longevity with worship pastors in our church. So you might be wondering, well, if we don't get to vote, how is the decision made? How, how are leadership decisions made at RMC? And one of the things that's core to our values is we're an elder-led church, which means that we look to our elders in this process of, of decisions. So we have an elder team at RMC that I work with, and we'll be praying together, and then ultimately, I'll have to make a decision. You know, I'll have to weigh the input of the elders and we'll be seeking the Lord together and the pastoral team here and we'll get to a place where we say, this is who we believe that, that God has for us. And so you can be praying for us as we make that, that decision and we move forward. And then once that decision is made, remember this verse, don't despise Timothy, you know? And maybe we need to be reminded of that because this is what I hope, this is what I pray, is I hope that we're more committed to Jesus Christ and each other than a worship style or a pastoral style. I hope if God were to call me on, you wouldn't go, oh, I'm done with RMC because Pastor Eric's gone. And I feel very called here and feel called to stay. But if another pastor came in that was committed to the word and to teach it verse by verse, I would hope you're committed to Christ and you're committed to this group of believers. And you go, well, Eric's moving to what God has for him next, and I'm not moving on. I'm staying right here because God has called me to this place. And the same way with worship. I hope that we're committed to the Lord and to each other even beyond a worship style. And as chance goes into what God has for him and God provides us, we keep our eyes upon the Lord. And we talk about this, but it's easier said than done, is hopefully we could enter into any kind of church setting with different styles of worship and worship. But that's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard for me to do. There's certain things that I like musically, and there's certain things that I don't like musically. And I think that's okay. 
I think that that's okay. Why? Because that's why God has a variety of expression through the body of Christ. If God wanted it to be all the same, then it would. But he knows that we're different and different things worship to different people. But as we go through this process, it gets really simple. Go, okay, every service I want to worship the Lord. Wasn't worship wonderful tonight? And why was it wonderful? Because God's good. Because we got our attention upon the Lord. Truth was expressed in the words. We, we went into God's presence together. So I think it's perfect timing. As I was studying this and praying about it, I thought there's a lot of application for us in the days to come. Verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Apollos had been in Corinth, and they're requesting that Apollos would come back. So not only do they not get Paul, but they don't get Apollos, and they get Timothy. Verse 13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. So the next thing that we see is we find standing in these final instructions. We, we've got an instruction on giving. We've got an instruction on staying. We've got an instruction on receiving. And now we've got an instruction on standing. And Paul says, watch. What is the church of Corinth to watch for? What are they to keep their attention on? That, that word watch means that you need to be careful. There could be someone that's trying to do you harm. And what we're watching against is the real attack of the enemy, Satan, to be on guard. Satan's at work. I need to be in prayer. I need to be standing in the armor of God. Also, we need to watch about our own sinful flesh, don't we? I'm my own worst enemy. I need to be careful. I need to be checking my heart, looking for pride, looking for lust, looking for covetousness, watching my own sinful flesh, keep short accounts with the Lord. Also, one thing that we need to watch for, we know biblically, is what? The second coming of Jesus Christ. We look forward to his soon return. We're to keep our eyes upon the fact that we have an eternal home. As we look at this letter in, in 1 Corinthians, we know this, that they need to be careful to keep things in order. There's a lot of things that we're, we're given here. And Paul's saying, watch, pay attention that you now put these things into practice. Keep these things in order. Don't let the tongues be used in an improper way. Make sure that love is taking place. Make sure that sexual sin is being, being dealt with. It's like my garage. I have to watch my garage because it constantly goes from a state of order to disorder. And it's the same for the Church of Corinth. It's the same for our church in that place. Let's be watchful. Let's be mindful. These instructions were given, and let's seek to walk in the things that God has. Stand fast in faith. Standing. How, how do we stand? We stand fast in faith. I'm so comforted that we don't stand fast by our own efforts. What we contribute if we had a good day or a bad day, we stand fast in faith and trusting in who God is. And that's really where the battle lies in the midst of the day, the challenges of the day of going, God, you have this. I trust you. I'm surrendering to you. I'm putting my confidence in you. You have shown yourself faithful in the death of the cross and your resurrection. I know your character. Even though it's blurry right now, even though there's a lot of questions, I'm gonna stand fast in faith. When things get shaky, is when we stop trusting. When we get away from that place of putting our confidence in God, of who he is and his promises. How do we stand? We stand fast in faith. Be brave and be strong. These are interesting instructions. 
These are attitudes of, of a believer that we could be brave. Brave means possessing or exhibiting courage. God wants us walking in an attitude of courage. To be strong. I think of Joshua 1.9. says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How can we be brave and be strong? It's because God is with us. That's why and that's how. It's not that we're great or we possess anything, that we don't have to muster up and go, well, today I'm going to be brave. Today I'm going to be strong. No, God's with me. And because God is with me, I can be brave and I can be strong because of who he is. Stand fast, watch, be brave, be strong. Don't leave out verse 14. Let all things be done with love. So you have someone that's real brave and real strong, but they're not loving. They've missed this full instruction. So it's strength and bravery in the midst of love. Is there anything more challenging than verse 14? Let all things that you do be done with love. How about let the majority of things that you do be done with love or let half the things that you do be done with with love, but let all things that you do be done with love. I fall short of this. This is a, a great challenge to say, it doesn't matter what it is, am I doing it with love? I might have the right answer, but if I don't have love, I've missed the most important part. It's truth with love. It's truth embodied by love. Love doesn't compromise truth, but love is the delivery of truth in a way that, that glorifies the Lord. How do I go through my day allowing everything to be done in love? Verse 15, I urge you, brethren, that you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, that they have devoted themselves to the mystery of the saints. Stephanus, he was the first one to receive Christ in this region of Achaia. Achaia is a Roman province in Greece that Corinth is the capital. If you've had the privilege of leading someone to Christ, to simply being there at the right time, at the right moment, to pray with them for them to receive Christ as their Savior, what an awesome privilege. And what Paul's saying is, I remember Stephanus because he was the first person that I got to pray with to receive Christ in this region. And if you haven't had that opportunity, pray for it. Pray for it in your lifetime. Say, Lord, if this doesn't happen, I'm fine. You're more than enough. But if you would allow me to pray with someone for them to receive Christ as their Savior, what a joy that would be. You say, I don't even know how to do that. Like, do you ever go to school to learn how to do that? Or If someone came to you and said, I want to be saved, what would you do? Do you know John 3.16? Could you look it up in your Bible? Do you know Romans 10.9? Could you look it up in your Bible? Explain the free gift of salvation because we're sinners and encourage someone to turn from their sin, to believe, to cry out, Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. Let me pray with you. You you heard me say this prayer over the years. If you've come to, to RMC, make it your own. It's not about the words of the prayer. It's the heart of faith of trusting what Christ has done upon the cross, his death and and resurrection. So man, pray for that, that God would allow that to occur in your life where you could lead someone to Christ. What's neat about the household of Stephanus is that the whole household has devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. His wife, his kids, they're all about, they just want to encourage believers. They want to minister to believers. That's a pretty cool thing to have your household known for for all of eternity. 
These guys are in the word for all of eternity because they were known to encourage believers. In verse 16, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. So Paul's saying, look, here's some guys that are gonna come alongside of you. They're gonna encourage you in the Lord. They're good servant leaders. We want you to respect them. We want you to follow them because they labor with us. Verse 17, I'm glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortuitus, and Acacius. Those are some great names. For what was the lacking on your part, they supplied. For they refreshed my spirits and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. This stands out to me. Paul needed refreshment that came from other believers. Our primary source of refreshment is from the Lord. Only Jesus is the living water. But God has also made us part of the body to be refreshed by believers. Monday, Labor Day, we had some good friends over, just barbecued, had a great time together. They went home, and I left feeling refreshed. That was a great time of hanging out with believers, just enjoying company together. We had some wonderful conversations, some, some good laughs, and that's what happens through fellowship. That's what happens through spending time with believers. Now, gang, if Paul needed that and was refreshed by it, how much more so do we need it, right? If anybody's like, well, that was great for the Apostle Paul, but I don't really need that, right? I don't, I don't really need to be refreshed by other believers. Well, man, the Apostle Paul was refreshed by believers, Verse 19, and to the churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Priscilla and Aquila are a married couple. They were tent makers that Paul met in Corinth. They went with Paul to Ephesus. So now Paul is saying, Priscilla and Aquila, they greet you. And this leads us to our last point tonight. It's greeting. We see an emphasis on greeting. This shows the love that believers have for one another, that they want to greet each other. And Priscilla and Aquila, they send their greeting. And they have a church that's meeting in their house. The church is not a building. The church is believers gathering together in Jesus' name, and we find a church meeting in a house. So, man, as you're gathered together with believers, you are the church. Now, there is a big uh, house church movement that is taking place, and what I want you to see in these verses is there's a church in a house that's connected to the body of Christ as a whole. And I think where the house church movement goes awry a little bit, in my opinion, is when the house church gets together and they say, it's me and these five couples and no more. We're, we're hanging out together. We've, we've got our thing together. We've got our clique together. And this is the way that the church of Acts was the first church in the book of Acts. But it's isolation mentality and exclusive mentality, and they're not connected with the body of Christ as a whole. And what we find with this house church Man, house church is wonderful if you're connected to the body of believers as a whole. And, and these guys weren't being isolationists. They're meeting in the home, but yet they were connected to what was going on in the whole. Now, having said that, we have to look at our own hearts as well, is it's easy for us to get isolation mentality inside of Rocky Mountain Calvary, right? And, and really, we've done the exact same thing. We, we've created our little group, and we're not associating with the body of Christ as a whole. I hope you know this. There's a lot of wonderful churches in Colorado Springs that we're in partnership with because we're in Jesus Christ together, and we want to fellowship and be for the body of Christ as a whole. Amen? So verse 20, and all the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. And we know that this was cultural for how they would greet one another at this time. 
but it showed the affection that you would have towards one another in a family. I think not enough can be said for this element of greeting. We're really losing it in our culture, in our society. We don't look people in the eye. We don't say, how you doing? We don't greet them. We don't shake their hand. We don't, you know, give them the, the old bro hug, the side bro hug, you know, and do, we don't greet one another. And there's something really powerful about greeting other believers and taking that time to to talk with one another, to greet one another, to shake hands, to hug one another. But in our culture, we don't greet one another with the holy kiss. So if you dudes go around starting to greet all the ladies in the fellowship with a holy kiss, we will be talking to you. So (laughs) verse 21, the salutation with my own hand, Paul. So he is dictating this letter. And at the very end, he signs off in his own handwriting now. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. This is showing the importance of love and adoration for Jesus Christ that flows out of faith. If you trust in Christ for salvation, what's going to come out of that is you love him. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins and rising again. If someone doesn't love Christ, Paul writes... Let them be accursed. And then there's this prayer that's coming from Paul's heart. He says, oh, Lord, come. And the Greek word is maranatha. Maybe you've heard that. And that means, Lord, come. It's from the depths of your soul where you cry out. You just say, Lord, come. I can't wait for the rapture of the church. I can't wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ when he rules and reigns. Today, Congress is trying to decide on the Iran uh, agreement, and there's a lot of things that are taking place with that. And you know what my response is? Oh, Lord, come quickly, you know? And as you look at society and how it's unraveling, it causes our hearts to say, Jesus, please come. I'm waiting for your return. If we're looking for Christ's return, wouldn't we want as many people in the kingdom as possible? It seems a little bit selfish to be like, oh, Lord, come and forget all these guys. (laughs) They're they're a real mess. Good luck for you. I'm out of here. No, the heart would be, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to, to come with us into Christ's kingdom. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Present tense, God's grace, his unearned and undeserved merited favor, the cherished gift that God gives into our lives. May love My love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen, amen. You know, the coach that I mentioned at the beginning, Coach Bentrude, I knew he loved us and cared for us. He was challenging us for something beyond just winning basketball games. He was wanting to develop our character. He was a Christian man, and he pushed us to go further than we would ever have gone on our own. And the Apostle Paul, he leaves and he says, you know what, I love you guys. And I think he proved it and that he called them on the hard stuff. He called them on the difficult things, and he said, hey, I need you guys to set these things in order. Start reading 2 Corinthians because the tone changes in his second letter. The Church of Corinth did receive the hard things that Paul had to say. So I pray that you're encouraged by these final instructions. Maybe take some time to look back on this book. Say, what were the things that God really spoke to me? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we ask that you would do only what you can do in our lives, that you give us greater knowledge of you, that you would cause there to be growth upon the word that we've just read. And God, would you help us to, in all of, your, of our lives to be giving people? Or would you help us to stay in those areas that you've called us, even when there's adversity? If there's an effective door, but there's adversity. God, would you help us to receive? Maybe there's leaders and 
Christians and believers that you want to use in our lives, but we're despising them. God, would we, would we receive them? Help us to stand, to stand in faith through your power and your might. May we be brave and strong because you're with us. Lord, would you just multiply our expression of love among believers? May we, we find ourselves just overwhelmed with love for one another, and it would show in the way that we greet each other. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.